You are listening to the podcast of First Baptist Church of Sevierville, where our mission is helping people move from their point of need to hope in Christ. For more information about our church, head on over to severe.church. Today's sermon, Samson, is part two in the series, Unlikely, shared by senior pastor Dan Spencer. I want to invite you this morning to find in your Bible the book of Judges and chapter 6. Judges chapter 6. We're starting something new today called Unlikely. And uh, let's begin like this. Uh, Like many little boys, I grew up experiencing a rite of passage that happened in backyards and vacant lots all over America called Neighborhood Touch Football. If you were ever a part of that, you know about things like shirts versus skins, all-time quarterbacks, and huddling up and drawing a play in the dirt. It was a game with rules like the swing set is out of bounds, two hands below the belt is a proper tag, and one Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi rushes. Any of you guys ever experienced that, or girls maybe? Let me see your hand. Now, I was a little guy. We moved around a lot. Pretty often, I was the new kid on the block. And so, I loved that neighborhood touch football, but I dreaded the ritual of picking teams. Because all the boys in the neighborhood would line up shoulder to shoulder. The two best athletes in the group would be appointed as team captains. And then they would take turns picking players for their team. The biggest and fastest boys were always the most likely to help you to win, and so they would be picked first. I think the most embarrassing thing for a boy is to be the last one picked. Sometimes I was that boy. And inevitably, the guy that got stuck with the last pick would look at me and say, Okay, I'll take him. And then in the huddle, when he was calling the play, he would say, hey, you go long. And fortunately, what they found out, it was I was a little faster and a little tougher than I looked. And so I was able to make my way, but many times I was the last kid picked. Sometimes there was an odd number, and I was the kid who didn't get picked. Now, there are many Christians who think that when it comes to God's team, you know, the people God calls out to do his great work in the world, they think if God lines up all of his children shoulder to shoulder and says, who's going to do the best job? Many people think I'm the most unlikely person that God would ever pick. I would be the last one. God would choose to use if he has some important work in this world that needs to be done. He would never choose me. Now, we believe that God has created every person on purpose and with a purpose. We believe that God has gifted every one of his children for some special service in his kingdom. Some 
job that he wants them to do. We believe God calls every Christian to join him in his mission in the world. But many people think, God can't use me. I would never get picked. Because they assume that they are disqualified because of some failure in their past. Or they think maybe the sins of their past have damaged them beyond usability. Or they feel unworthy because they're too young or they don't know enough or they've not been a Christian for very long. Others feel intimidated by the heroes of the Bible. And they look at people like Paul and and David and others and they think, there's no way I could ever measure up to that. If that's who God uses, I'm disqualified. Other people even look at the super servants within the church and they think, I could never do what they do. For still others, Satan has lied to you. And he has said to you, God will never trust you to do anything important. You would just mess it up. However, God's word tells a different story. Here's what we see over and over again. That God just keeps choosing the most unlikely people to do his most amazing work. In fact, here's what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 26. Listen to this. It says, for you see your calling, brethren. That is, here are the people that God chooses to use. You see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty and the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. Why? That no flesh should glory in his presence. Here's the deal. God doesn't always pick the smartest and the biggest and the strongest and the most likely to succeed. Instead, he chooses and uses the unlikely to do things that bring him glory. So that when it's all said and done, they have to say, God, it was all you. It was not me. Today, uh, we're going to look to the book of Judges because that story is so clear all through the book of Judges. We're going to see how God picked the most unlikely guy in the nation to lead a comeback for the people of Israel. And then in the weeks that follow, we're going to look at some other unlikely heroes like uh, Deborah, who was just minding her own business and had her own ministry, never thought that she would be involved in a military operation, but God used her. And Jephthah, a man who was an outcast and an outlaw, nobody thought he would ever be picked to do anything for God, and yet God greatly used him. And then Samson, a guy with a lot of faults and failures and weaknesses, even though he was strong, he was very weak, but God chose him to use him in a powerful way. And so today we're going to look at this man named Gideon. 
Now, I have to give you a little bit of background for the book of Judges to really appreciate his story. Uh, the people of Israel, God's people, had, had uh, repeated a cycle for 12 generations. And here's the cycle. They would begin to rebel against God by worshiping idols. Uh, they would build altars to the, the false deities of the Canaanites who lived around them. And they would erect these wooden fertility poles on every hill. And they would worship there. Instead of worshiping the one true God, they would worship these false idols. And so, consequently, God would remove his protection from the nation and allow his people to suffer the consequences of their choices and their rebellion. And the way that that would happen is that some neighboring nation, God would allow them to invade and harass the Israelites and oppress them. Next in the cycle is that God's people would begin to feel the pressure. And and they would become desperate in their suffering. And they would finally look to God again and admit their sin and look to God for help and say, Lord, will you please do something about this? God, in his mercy, would respond to their repentance by sending a, uh, in the Hebrew language, a shaphat or a judge. That's why it's called the book of Judges. Now, it's not like a judge in a courtroom in our day. Instead, it, it was more like a freedom fighter that God would call out and raise up an avenger who would go and act as an agent of the one true God and deliver God's people from their enemies. And then God would give them a time of blessing and rest. In Judges chapter 6 and 7, Israel is repeating that cycle again. And the nation that was oppressing them was called Midian. And when God was ready to call out someone, a judge, to take care of the Midianites, he picked a guy named Gideon. And I want to go to chapter 7 and read you Gideon's finest moment. How God used him to win an extraordinary victory over Midian against all odds. And this is how Gideon became a great hero. Uh, Chapter 7, verse 19. Uh, The whole army of Midian was encamped and ready to attack. And so in the middle of the night, the Bible says Gideon, verse 19, and the hundred men who were with him, God uh, whittled his army down to only a hundred guys. And they surrounded the camp and they had a really unorthodox plan. Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outpost of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, just as they had posted the watch, and they blew the trumpets, broke the pitchers that were in their hands. Then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers. They held the torches in their left hand and the trumpets in their right hands for blowing, and they cried, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And so a lot of noise, flash of light, and the Midianites in the camp just freaked. Verse 21, every man stood in his place all around the camp and the whole army ran and cried out and fled. When the 300 blew the trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his companion throughout the whole camp 
And, and so what happened was the Midianites freaked out to such an extent they turned on each other. And, and they, the enemy, God calls them to defeat themselves. And, uh, and Gideon led that. Gideon was a great warrior and a great leader. He led Israel to this awesome victory. But to really appreciate that, you have to know what Gideon was like when God first called him. So go back to chapter 6 and verse 11. Chapter 6, verse 11. Now, the Bible talks about the angel of the Lord here. It's probably capitalized in your Bible. The angel of the Lord. What I believe this is, is uh, called a Christophany in the Old Testament. This is an appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ in the Old Testament when he comes and, and he is simultaneously called an angel, which is a messenger of God, and then Gideon calls him Lord. So uh, this is Jesus being both the messenger of God and God who gives the message at the same time. Crazy, right? Verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abiezrite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. So the Midianites are, are, are threatening Israel. They are a clear and present danger. Gideon is under intense pressure to try to provide for his family. And so he's, high, he's a defeated man. And he's hiding in a wine press, threshing his wheat. Now, if you don't know, a wine press is a terrible place to thresh wheat. Let me explain a little something about wheat threshing in case you haven't done it in a while. Uh, the way that they would thresh their wheat is that they would take a, something called a winnowing fork and they would throw the wheat up in the air. The wind would blow away the lighter stuff that they didn't want called chaff. And then the heavier kernels of wheat would fall down so that they could gather it and, and use it for food. Uh, but a wine press is below ground level. That means the wind is not blowing there. You're not going to get enough wind to blow the chaff away. So it's a terrible place to thresh wheat. Why was Gideon threshing his wheat in the wine press? And the answer is because he's afraid. I mean, this guy is afraid of the enemy. I think if you would have snuck up on Gideon in the wine press threshing his wheat and said, boo, he would have jumped out of his skin. Verse 12, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Doesn't seem right. Gideon said to him, oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all of his miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, did not the Lord bring us from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So he said to him, O oh my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. 
And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. And so I just love this story. Gideon is a man with a lot of problems, a lot of doubts, a lot of fears, excuses, questions. But the Lord chooses him and then greatly uses him to lead the comeback for Israel. And in that story, here's what I want to share with you. Some unlikely ways that the Lord often works. I hope this is an encouragement to you today. Four unlikely ways the Lord often works. Number one is that he doesn't call the brave, but he makes brave those he calls. All right, watch this. God needs somebody who's got some backbone, who's not going to be afraid of the enemy and has some courage to go out and lead his people. And so he doesn't go find the biggest, baddest guy in Israel. Instead, he goes to the the weak little man who's hiding in the wine press, threshing his wheat. And Gideon knew it. He said, Lord, you call me a mighty man of valor? I'm a weak guy. I think you've got the wrong one. Here's what this teaches me. God doesn't call the brave, but he makes brave those he calls. When God, here's how God often works. When God calls you, he never starts with what you are or what you've been. Instead, he starts with what he intends to make you in Christ. And so he looks at a man cowering in a wine press and he says, you are a mighty man of valor. And, and God does that with you. Well, he, he speaks to you when you're dead in your sins and he calls you alive based on Jesus' death and resurrection. Satan does the opposite, doesn't he? He starts with who you are and what you've been And he defines you by that. Based on your past sins and failures. Satan whispers in your ear. You failed so many times. That's what you are. You are a failure. And you always will be. You are a loser. You are a reject. You are worthless. But God does it differently. In spite of our sins and in spite of our failures, God says, you are loved. You are holy. You are righteous. You are my child. And you are a mighty man or woman of valor. And you may say, but God, I am none of those things. And he says, oh, you will be. I have plans for you. You are a new creation in Christ. And I'm going to make you what I declare you to be. So you see the difference? You need to know how to discern those two voices that you're going to hear. They both talk about your sin. But Satan will, will start with who you are and what you've done and enslave you to that and label you with that and define you by what you've done. But God starts 
with a declaration of what he's making you in Christ. You're a new creation. You're righteous in Christ. You're holy in Christ. And then he grows you up and sanctifies you into what he has called you to be. Now, I love how God does this with Gideon. He goes to him while he's afraid, while he's weak, and he says, you are a mighty man of valor. And then he begins to build Gideon's faith. He doesn't get it all at once. He begins to build his faith, first of all, by giving him a smaller task in his own backyard with step-by-step instructions. He says, Gideon, I want you to go destroy the altars and the idols of your daddy. You see, Gideon's own family was deeply involved in idol worship. And God said, start there. How many of you know revival has to start at home? And it did for Gideon. Watch this in verse 25. The Bible says, Now it came to pass that the same night that the Lord said to him, Take your father's young bull, the second bull of seven years old, and tear down the altar of Baal, a false god, that your father has, and cut down the wooden image that is beside it, and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of this rock in the proper arrangement. And take the second bull and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the image you shall cut down. So Gideon took ten men from among his servants and did as the Lord had said to him. But because he feared his father's household and the men of the city too much to do it by day, he did it by night. And so he's still scared, but he obeys. And he starts off small and close to home and and he does it. And, And then fast forward And it's not very long as God builds his confidence and builds his faith that we see Gideon again in verse 33. It says, Then all the Midianites and Amalekites, the people of the east, gathered together. They crossed over and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. Then he blew the trumpet and the Abiezrites gathered before her or behind him. So now Gideon's a leader all of a sudden. How did that happen? Well, God didn't call the man who was brave. He called a man who was afraid, and then he made brave the man that he called. And this is how God often works. Uh, Another unlikely way that God often works is that he doesn't call us to do what is easy, but what seems impossible. Gideon asked in verse 15, when God said, you're going to go save Israel, Gideon says, how can I save Israel? I'm not the guy. And we ask questions like that too, don't we? What's the point in even trying? I can't do that. I can't overcome this sin. I can't get past my past. I can't control the situation. I can't live that victorious Christian life that I see other people living. I can't achieve my dreams and goals. It's too much for a person like me. Why even try? It just seems impossible. I hope it encourages you to hear Gideon say what he said because you're not the first person to ever have those kinds of thoughts. And that's why I love how God dealt with Gideon. God didn't rebuke Gideon and say, look, I think I made a mistake. You are not the guy. God didn't 
God didn't write him off. He didn't look for somebody else with a better self-esteem. He just assured Gideon, listen to this, he assured Gideon, verse 12, of his presence. He said, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. In verse 16, the Lord said, surely I will be with you. Here's what Gideon learned. Here's what we need to learn. When you add the presence of God to the situation, what you thought was impossible becomes possible. When you know God is with you, what you thought you could never do, you'll find God empowering you and enabling you and carrying you to do it. So... uh, He doesn't start with the little easy things, but with things that are hard, things that seem impossible. And what we find is when we trust him, he gives us the strength. A third way that God works that seems very unlikely is that he isn't glorified in human strength, but in the weakness of humble obedience. Watch this. Gideon said... Lord, you called me a mighty man of valor, but I am not that. I'm not mighty. I'm not brave. I'm barely even a man, to be honest about it. I'm the runt of the litter. I'm the weakest man from the weakest clan in Israel. I cannot do what you ask me to do. And that just seems like the way it it happens so many times. God often calls those who were weak, And then he shows himself to be strong through them. In fact, it's like God delights in using the least. That's what Gideon called himself in verse 15. I'm the least. God delights in using the least to do his greatest work. But listen, what God requires is our humble obedience. Where we come to the point where we say, okay, God, I I know you're calling me. I know what you want me to do. And so I'm saying yes. I'm saying, God, I can't, but I know you can. And if you'll be with me, I'll put my yes on the table. It's about getting to that point where we say, Lord, I'll do it. But it's got to be all you because I'm not able And that's how it happens. We humbly obey and God brings the power. That's how it will happen in your life. You put your yes on the table. You humbly obey in your weakness, even if you're scared. And you just do it. You keep sharing the gospel. You keep patiently praying for your husband. You keep loving your lost daughter. You keep standing for Jesus at school. You keep enduring the teasing without complaining. And God begins to work. And he becomes strong in your weakness. That's how he works. Last thing, number four, another just unlikely way that God works is that he patiently deals with faltering faith. Let me explain. In this chapter, God gives Gideon miraculous signs of his power. Uh, Fire from a rock to consume the sacrifice. The famous sign of the wet fleece and the dry fleece. Uh, 
a, a dream that uh, Gideon's able to overhear. God just keeps giving Gideon these signs of his power. And I find it really comforting in this story how God takes such time and patience to reassure Gideon. I love that because we often picture God up in heaven saying, look, if you don't have absolute confidence and faith in me all the time, I can't use you. That's not true. It's not what we see over and over in Scripture. God comes to the weak man and he says, you're a mighty man of valor. I'm going to use you. And then God just works with him and builds him. It was not overnight. It took some time. Makes me think of Mark 9, 22. This man comes with a sick son to Jesus. And he says this. He says, Jesus, if you are able to do something, have compassion and help us. Now, you would expect Jesus to say, if. What is if? Don't you know who I am? Uh, But instead... Jesus doesn't take offense. He says, hey, all things are possible to those who believe. And the man's response is classic, so honest. He said, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And we would expect Jesus to say, you believe, but you don't believe? What does that even mean? Obviously, You need to work on your faith, buddy. Why don't you go home, memorize some scripture, and come back when you can be all in. But no, what did Jesus do? He took that faltering faith, and he healed the boy and worked a miracle. I wonder if we can be that honest. Why don't we try this morning? Do you have doubts about what you know God wants you to do? What you know he's calling you to do? That thing you think is impossible, I could never do that. Do you have doubts? Then why don't you just be honest about it? Tell him. Ask your questions. And ask God to take your faltering faith and to show him, to show you his faithfulness in spite of it. And then just trust him. And at some point, you have to take the risk. And you have to put your yes on the table and say, God, I can't. But you can. And if you're with me, I'll go. And watch him turn your weakness into strength. You may think you're the last pick in the room today. And that God could never use you. But if you trust him, God can use you to do great things. I was thinking this week about this, and uh, I was remembering a great conversation I had with my friend, Jack Cummings. Jack is in heaven now, but uh, he was in the business world for many years and then ended up uh, running a, a mission organization out of Jacksonville, Florida. And uh, he and I have been many places in the world together. We were in Nicaragua, and Jack told me this story uh, about a lady named Judy Russell. 
So Jack's pastor uh, called him and said, uh, Jack, I've got this lady named Judy Russell in our church. She's bugging me to death. She's convinced that God is calling her to go as a missionary to the Philippines. And I don't know how in the world God's calling this woman, but she won't leave me alone. And Jack said, tell me about her. He said, well, no mission organization will accept her uh, because she's a divorced single mom. She has a lot of health problems. She has no resume. She's never been a missionary before. She's never been to seminary or Bible college. And Jack said, well, I'll call her. And he, he talked to her. And Jack just became convinced that God was up to something with this lady. And that she had the touch of God on her life. And so he sent Judy to the Philippines and supported her and funded her work for 35 years. Here's what happened. This unlikely woman, nobody would ever pick her to make a difference for God as a missionary. She rented a room in the slums of Manila. And she began to take in little street kids and lead them to Jesus and disciple them and train them up to be nurses and evangelists and church planters whom she sent all over the Philippines. In 35 years, Jack told me that her ministry saw hundreds of thousands of people come to Christ. An unlikely person that God used to do some amazing work. And I tell you that because God can do something like that with you. Right there in your classroom, right there at your job, in your neighborhood, in another country, God can use you if you put your yes on the table and say, God, I can't, but I believe you can. Let's stand together and will you join me in prayer? And let's just pray about our response today. Heavenly Father, I, I want to pray For all those in the room today and watching us online who just feel like, I, I, I don't think God can use me because of what I've done, because of who I am, because of the labels that I wear. God, I pray that today they would open their heart to what you're calling them to do to be involved in a ministry to go on a mission trip to talk to their friend at work about Jesus to start a life group to teach a Bible study whatever it might be God, I pray they would open their heart now and just simply give you their yes. Yes, Lord, I'll do it. I don't know how, but with you, I'll do it. And God, we pray that we'd be able to see you do some amazing things 
with what others would look at and say that's an unlikely person. Lord, I pray for anyone here today who's lost in their sin. And they may be thinking, God can't love me and God won't save me. But I pray now that they would just place their faith in Jesus. Even though it may not be complete. A faltering faith. And Lord Jesus, I pray for your mercy and grace and their salvation today. In Jesus' name, amen. You look this way. Hey, if you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to subscribe and share. And if you want a pastor to follow up with you regarding today's message, reach out to us at severe.church slash follow up. Thanks again for joining us on the First Baptist Church Severeville podcast.